So this was a, an actual uh, live overheard conversation in my house this week. One boy uh, was talking about tornado touchdowns. Another boy said, that's not what they're called. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. And so finally, as the volume increased to uh, unmanageable level, I went in and intervened. I said, actually, that is correct. To which the naysayer replied, well, I didn't know. <laughs> Sometimes we're so convinced that someone else is wrong that we're willing to go tooth and nail even if we don't know what is right. And when it's about a topic, it's about, that's one thing, but it doesn't usually take us too long to go from disagreeing about a topic to disagreeing about a, a person. I can remember conversations with my sister growing up, and we might start out disagreeing about a topic like makeup or clothes, and then often that devolves or escalated. E either way, it went bad quickly to uh, not just about the, the thing, but about uh, an action. I can't believe you did that. I didn't do it. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yeah. Two, uh, being disagreeable about who the other was. You're such a liar. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, right? In the blink of an eye. Does anybody else hear that? Probably none of y'all did that ever, but maybe you've heard it in your homes, right? In the blink of an eye, we go from disagreeing about a thing to disagreeing about a person this weekend we're talking about E in the heart principles. Even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. Have you ever uh, felt ridiculed or dismissed or made to be wrong? And have you ever been the one to ridicule or dismiss or make someone else feel wrong? The good news is there's grace at the heart of all of it for each of us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us, that we might be more like Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. In the midst of so much conflict and disagreement, so much arguing about who's right and who's wrong, we want to remind you about who we are called to be. The series that we're in, you'll be seeing these verses throughout the series. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Our goal and our calling is unity. But that doesn't mean that we're going to agree about everything. I love how Paul encourages 
the Romans chapter 15, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a harmony that's possible in our relationships together. There's a, a sweet concordance, a sweet spot when, when our voices come together in a way that becomes lifted as one voice to God. Sometimes you can hear it in music. They're not on the same note, but it is as one note. It's so tight and it fits together so well, but it is made up of different notes and different voices. The heart principles can help us find that harmony. Uh, Barry talked to you about a handout. It's how to have hard conversations. It has the heart principles at the top. This is the same thing that was in your bulletin last week. We just realized that it was so tiny uh, in print last week in the bulletin. We wanted you to have access to it if you want it with the heart principles, but also some um, suggestions and encouragement for how to have difficult conversations. There's a link to it also on the website. So if you want to download it from the website, you're welcome to do that. But we really believe, and it's been tried over time, that living with these heart principles helps us find that place of harmony with one another that allows us to be unified in glorifying God. Last week, it was hear and understand me. I heard and understood that y'all had homework from last week. Did anybody do the homework from last week? I've been asked to report back. Uh-oh, uh-oh is right. Uh, this, I won't, uh, I won't tell. I wasn't here. I, won't I just heard you had homework, but I won't, uh, I won't report back on you. Uh, this week, even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. Y'all, we're going to disagree on some things. From as simple as to whether or not raisins actually belong in oatmeal cookies, which they don't, by the way, but you might like them there, things that seem unimportant to things that are life changing. And we all want to be right. I don't know a single person who doesn't want to be right. There's something satisfying about being right. Even in school, when you get the right answer, right, there, there's something satisfying about being right. It validates our worth somehow. It, it makes us believe that, that we are in and that we know something. It gives us, in, in some ways, a, a sense of, of power. Uh, knowledge often is considered to be power. And as much as we all like to be right, we especially don't like being wrong. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be incorrect. We don't like to be inaccurate. Because often when we do something wrong or say something wrong or get the wrong answer, it's a very short trip to it becoming us being wrong as people, about our identity and our worth. We don't like being wrong. Sometimes it, it makes us feel dumb or, or ashamed, or it makes us feel like someone else has, has power and control over us and decisions that are being made. And in all of that right and wrong, we set up this false dichotomy between being in or being out, being right or being wrong. 
And in that, it's hard for us to be in relationship with one another. We, we set up the camps of, in the smart, you're in the smart group. You're in the dumb group. You're the winner. You're the loser. It's hard. In our world that promotes that kind of dichotomy, it is hard for us to live in harmony with one another. Because we've set ourselves up that somebody gets to be right, which means that somebody has to be wrong. Even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. Even if you disagree about my perspective or my knowledge or my experience, please don't make me as a person wrong. The more we insist on being right, the less in right relationship we are. The more we insist on being right, the less in right relationship we are. This can be true for us in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. I love Simon Peter. He's one of my favorite disciples. He's bold, he's strong, he's eager. He uh, speaks before he thinks right? Uh, He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be right, and most of the time thinks that he is. Listen to this story. This is towards the beginning of Luke's gospel. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who would later be Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, come, they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with them were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. By all logic in this story, this progression of events, Peter is right. Peter's the fisherman, not Jesus. Peter knows this boat inside and out. It's Peter's boat. It's not Jesus's boat. Peter and his companions have been fishing all night long and caught nothing. By all logical measure, it didn't make any sense for him to think that if he put the net out one more time, that they would catch anything. You can almost hear Jesus saying, Peter, even if you disagree with me about all of this, Please don't make me wrong. Peter had witnessed already Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Peter had witnessed Jesus healing his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law. But you can still, in that verse 5, Master, we have worked all night, all night long, but have caught nothing. 
it, you know, there's just, the, it goes on to the next sentence, but you can almost hear Peter sigh, right? Like, yet if, if you say so, if you say so, I, I will let down the nets. And so he did, and guess what? Jesus was right the whole time. Even if you disagree with me, Peter, please don't make me wrong. And then, then Jesus shifts the narrative. It's not about fish anymore, Peter. It's about people. It's not about the fish anymore, Peter. It's about the people. What I love about uh, Peter even more is that it doesn't end with this story. You might think, oh, great, Peter's in, Peter's on board, Peter is, uh, uh, understands the whole thing now. Nope, nope. In Matthew uh, 14, at almost every turn in the encounters we re- read between Peter and Jesus, Peter is doing the, the same thing. In Matthew 14, uh, Jesus has uh, just before this, fed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves and some fish, and he sends the disciples on to the boat to go across the lake, and he goes to pray, and then overnight the, the uh, waves are, are high, and there's, uh, it's a little bit stormy, and in the morning, Jesus is walking out to the uh, boat to them, and they see him. Early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter thinks he knows better than, than Jesus, even in believing that he's going to drown, that he's going he's gonna to sink, right? Jesus has said, Come on, come walk on the water. And then things change for Peter. A little bit later in Matthew's gospel, uh, Peter wants to discount Jesus, telling him that Jesus is going to have to suffer and die. No, Lord. No. And then even further in Matthew, towards the end. So from beginning to end, Peter is in this situation. Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, though all become deserters deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter argues with Jesus when Jesus is telling him what's going to happen. I love Peter. Bless his heart, right? Peter, Peter. How often does our need to be right get in the way of our relationship with Jesus? 
How often do we read something that Jesus says and we really want Jesus to be wrong? Right? Jesus, I know you said to love my enemies, but Jesus, they're so mean. They've hurt me. They've betrayed me. They don't deserve my love. Or maybe, Jesus, I know that in that sermon you preached, you talked about how blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. But Jesus, are you, are you sure? I mean, that just doesn't sound right, Jesus. Or maybe, Jesus, I know you've said that in order for me to follow you, I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow, that I have to lose my life to save it. Now, Jesus, really? I'm pretty sure there is probably another way for me to follow you, right? So often we don't want to hear what Jesus has to say, and truth is, sometimes we would actually like Jesus to be wrong. And Jesus continues to love us and pursue us and welcome us and restore us Even in our disagreeing with Jesus, Jesus never makes us wrong. He may not agree with our behavior, but Jesus never makes us wrong. Jesus loves us and continues to pursue us and welcome us and restore us out of God's great love for us, invites us to fuller relationship, just as he did with Peter. When Peter was walking on the water and begins to sink, did you notice what Jesus did? Jesus extends his hand to Peter, and they get into the boat. I feel confident that Jesus didn't let go of Peter's hand, right? We're going to go hand in hand back into the boat When, after the resurrection, the disciples are once again fishing, once again they've been, uh, they go out and they catch nothing, and Jesus shows up to them and tells them to cast the net on the other side. They do, and it's a full catch, and they recognize Jesus. Peter puts his clothes on to jump into the water to go to Jesus, where Jesus is waiting for them. Then on the shore, after Jesus has fed them, Jesus, who has already reached out his hand to Peter in numerous ways, reaches out his heart to Peter as well. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus comes back to Peter and restores him completely. This interaction of, do you love me and feed my sheep? Do you love me, tend my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? Complete restoration of Peter by Jesus. Peter did a lot of things not well, but Jesus never made Peter wrong, even in disagreeing with that. 
Jesus invites us to do the same with one another. Love one another just as I have loved you. Everyone will know you are my disciples, my followers, by your love for one another. This heart principle, even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong, is so hard for us because it's so countercultural. Think about what is happening in our world, in our nation, in the United Methodist Church, in our communities, and in our homes. We all want to be right, even if there's a possibility that we're not. We all want to be right. And our insistence on being right can lead us to linking people with their thinking or with their behavior or with their position. But someone's theology is not the person. Someone's politics is not the person. Someone's bad behavior, even, is not the person. Even if you disagree with me on this issue, please don't make me, as a person, Wrong. Now, before you say, yeah, 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 but what about, what about, I want you to remember it says, even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. It doesn't say, please make me right. Even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong, doesn't say, please make me right. Our willingness to pursue right relationship with those who disagree with us or with whom we disagree doesn't mean that we give up truth. Doesn't mean we give up capital T truth. I think it does mean that we realize that capital T truth is bigger than any one of us. Bigger than any one position or one experience or one ideology. I think it, I think it means that that we have to stand on the truth of Jesus, not just the truth of our own experience or our own knowledge or our own perspective or our own ideas or our own preferences. I think it means we have to realize that none of us is right all the time. I have to tell you that a couple of years ago in some different relationships where I was the one being made to feel wrong, I finally gave up needing to be right. Now, I, I like, like any of you, I'm sure, I'll confess, I like being right, right? But I realized that for the sake of some of the relationships that I was in, I would have rather have the relationship than be right. And so it became a mantra of mine. I don't, ha- I don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. I'd rather have right relationship. And it has been the most freeing thing for me because it doesn't get me bunched up about an idea or a position or a, or a thought or a perspective. I want relationship more than I want to be right, more than I need to be right. So freeing. Do you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? The scribes and the Pharisees have brought this woman to Jesus, and uh, they say she's been caught in adultery, and the law of Moses says that we uh, should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? They're setting him up to, to trick him, of course. What do you say? And Jesus bends down and is writing something in, in the sand and the dirt, and, and there's a pause. 
And they continue to question him. And then Jesus says, well, uh, okay, then uh, the first one of whoever among you is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And they, you can kind of imagine them, you know, kind of stepping back away and being far enough away that they can, they can turn and, and walk away. And then Jesus straightened up and said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. Jesus did not make the woman wrong, even while he did not make her behavior right. Do you hear that difference? Jesus didn't make the woman wrong, even while he did not make her behavior right. Even if you disagree, don't make me wrong, doesn't mean that we give up truth. But the truth that we hold on to is Jesus, not our own thoughts, opinions, perspectives, ideas, but Jesus. That's our truth. Jesus extends his hand and his heart to this woman, forgiving her, loving her. Jesus extends his hand and his heart to us, loving us, forgiving us. I wonder how we might do the same. Extending our heart and our hands to one another. You know, if you find yourself talking over someone or talking down to someone or forming an opinion about them that is hateful or degrading or that puts you in a position of power over them and being right, you might want to pause. You might want to pause. What would it look like to try to see someone else from a different perspective or at the very least acknowledge that your perspective and your conclusions might not be the only ones that then, if they're the only ones, make everybody else's opinions wrong? What would it look like to pause long enough to try to consider where someone else might be coming from? If you're able to see someone else as a follower of Christ, or if they're not a follower of Christ, still a child of God created in the image of God. We're all created in the image of God and called very good. If you can at least see them as a child of God, then you might be able to consider that there is something right about that person, even if you disagree on an idea or a perception or a perspective or a belief. Even if you disagree with me, with my position, my opinion, my thought, please don't make me as a person wrong. We all, we all want that. We all want that for ourselves. Can we imagine that other people want that from us too? And each of us, Each of us contributes to the harmony of being one in the body of Christ, to that one voice that gets lifted up that is not all the same note. It's all of us. 
participating in the one body together, even though we disagree. I wonder what kind of opportunities God is going to give us this week. And I promise you God will give us opportunities to hear God's word and to put it into practice in real time, real life. I invite you, even just for this week, if it's all you can manage, to hold on to this. Even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. There are people with whom we all disagree. I wonder how it would shift the conversation if if we would really pause and instead of making someone else wrong, we found a way to have conversation about the things about which we disagree while honoring one another as beloved children of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we need your help. We need your reminders that you see us and you love us, you forgive us, that That even when we uh, behave in ways that are wrong, you don't ever make us wrong. That you see us exactly as we are for who we are and you love us and you invite us to love you and love one another in return. Lord, help us. Help us. Let go of our need to be right at the expense of someone else. Help us find ways to disagree without making each other wrong. Help us find ways to lift our voices as part of the harmony of the one voice that is the body of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.